once again to Cinemaholics. He is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend. He also reviews films for the playlist Cutburn Film, and of course, Cinemaholics.com. It is Will Ashen. Hello, John. I'm the author of the novel Killer Joy, a book about Pixar called The Pixar Theory, and I write about film. For Adam Tickets, the Young Folks, and Cinemaholics, I am John Negroni. You can find more episodes of Cinemaholics on AdamTickets.com, as well as our full archive on Cinemaholics.com. And you can write into the show anytime. Send us an email whenever you want, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. And of course, we have a Patreon. We love our patrons who support the show and keep it running. If you want to check that out and learn some more details, go to patreon.com slash cinemaholics. And Will Ashen, it's a great time to be a patron. You know why? Why is that? Well, I mean, Will Ashen, you you helped record our latest extra milestone about the 400 blows. And that is out right now for our lovely patrons. You can listen to that full thing if you are any tiered patron of Cinemaholics. So... Uh, quite the episode, Will, and uh, I, feel, I have a feeling when when you listen back to it, you're 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 probably going to get even more out of that conversation than at first glance. I sure did. I hope so. It was it was a good film, and I I, I was so happy that uh, we were both able to see it all the way through for the first time. Yeah, for sure. In this episode, we're going to be talking about Aladdin and the Perfection and Brightburn. Some really uh, mm-hmm. some really avant garde movies, I think is fair to say. But there were definitely some things we caught that we <laughs> don't have time to cover this week. And one of them was Booksmart. The Booksmart I talked about with Abby Olchesi a few weeks ago. Well, I know you haven't had a chance to see Booksmart yet. Are you planning on maybe seeing it this week or next week? What's the deal? Yeah, I'm planning to see it on Tuesday with a friend of mine. So I have mm. it in my books to, no pun intended, to see the mm. film. I just haven't uh, gotten the chance to. That's a smart decision, and I think that uh, uh, you should probably get a kick out of it. I know Julia Tatey saw it for the first time over the weekend, uh, of course, Cinemaholic staff writer. Big fan of the film. My review of Booksmart is on Cinemaholics.com. Go check that out if you want to hear or read more thoughts about it. And if you want to hear more thoughts about Booksmart, uh, my episode of Cinemaholics on that was the week you were out, Will, with Abby from a few weeks ago. That was our long shot episode. Definitely worth checking mm-hmm. out. Well, I know you saw something else pretty recently called Her Smell, which yeah. we just haven't had a chance to really cover on this show. But real quick for the listeners, was uh, Her Smell a film that you recommend that uh, some of the cinemaholics who know your tastes should go seek out? Yeah, um, I know, I forget who, but one of the writer or one of the commenters uh, asks our thoughts. So I'm glad we can bring it up. Yeah, I really, really liked uh, Her Smell. It's one of my favorites of the year. Um, the only other Alex Ross Perry movie I'd seen before this was Listen Up Philip or mm. Phillips. Uh, with Jason, or yeah, Jason Schwartzman, I think, is the guy in that. Um, I didn't but, see the film, so. Okay. Well, I, I have, this, those films are kind of night and day in comparison, because that's kind of like a more rigid sort of Wes Anderson type of film, and this is a lot more like uh, John Cassavetes. It's a little more free-flowing. It's uh, very intense, sort of grimy and gritty, and uh, it really boasts uh, a tremendous performance by Elizabeth Moss, who I know you're a big fan of from Mad Men. I think you watch uh, The Handmaiden Tale, among the other Handmaid's things. Handmaid's Tale. Handmaid's Tale, sorry. Yeah, Handmaiden uh, is a totally different uh, enterprise, promise you for that. Sure, my bad. Uh, but yeah, I mean, she's been doing some terrific work these uh, past 10 or so years, and this is, I think, one of her best performances. And I feel it's probably going to get overlooked awards-wise, which is a shame, because she's really doing some great stuff in here. But I definitely, if you have a chance, it's probably slipped out of theaters by now. Um, definitely check it out because um, it's really quite good. Yeah, and that's it, it hasn't. It hasn't been playing in this area that I've been aware of, unfortunately. I think. Uh, I think. I don't think I've ever watched anything that 
Perry has directed. I, I guess I've just seen the Christopher Robin, Christopher which Robin. He, yeah. he co-wrote with like 12 other people, right? So yeah, uh, sounds, Three, sounds like an interesting watch. I know a lot of other people were big fans, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for but, sure. Yeah, it's it's long, though. It's like two and a half hours, but well worth your time. Sounds like it. I did manage to catch uh, a new Netflix show called Dead to Me, which I, I won't oh, labor because I've only seen the pilots. But uh, this is a new Netflix show with Christina Applegate and Linda Cardellini, which as soon as I heard that they were starring in a show together, and even James Marsden happens to be in it for some fun reason, uh, I definitely had to check it out. Uh, the pilot intrigued me. I don't know if I'm a diehard fan yet or anything like that, but <laughs> just letting the listeners know that I've started it. Uh, it's an interesting kind of uh, twisty drama show. And I think in a similar vein, Will, you, you've you been getting qu- like into Fleabag, the, the show on well, uh, Amazon. Yeah, I mean, I saw the first season when it premiered. Actually, I think I saw it before that because I was reviewing it for uh, We Got This Covered. But yeah, no, I, I'm catching up on season two now. It, right. it premiered in the UK, and so now it's just coming here. Uh, I'll talk about it more when I watch the whole season. I'm only two episodes into it now. But yeah, definitely... I mean, you probably have heard about it on Twitter and elsewhere, but definitely check out that show because it's just fantastic. Um, but yeah, was that hearing nothing was that, pun in, was that pun intentional? Die Hard by the by chance, or was that an uh, unintentional pun there? Whew, I I refuse to uh, <laughs> <laughs> to to comment actually on that. But your puns really are taking you over. I I almost said I I almost managed to catch Catch Twenty Two, which was the other oh. show I was going to mention. But then I switched to Dead to Me the last nice. second to, to to help the listeners get through this episode relatively unscathed. But yes, I I also saw Catch Twenty Two on Hulu. I know you're waiting to watch the show once you finish the book. Mm-hmm. This is another show I managed to catch just the first episode. I, I think it's a limited series. I I can't imagine it's like a yeah long term sort of thing. Well, they might um they might adapt the sequel book. But I don't know if that's in the cards or not. It depends on the success of the show. And I have to right. say, you know, we both have talked, we've been talking about shows on Hulu for quite a while on the show, like going pretty way back in our uh, in, in our episodes of Cinemaholics. And I, I got to say the production value on Cash 22, if you're not familiar with the story, it is, a, it's kind of a satirical take on the World War II Air Force bombers, I want to say. I don't, I don't want to say it incorrectly, like, what their deal is. But, yeah, it's like a dark comedy, and it's based on the novel by Joseph Heller. And you're following the story of the this guy who played by Christopher Abbott, who wa- wants nothing but to get out of the military. It's World War II, and he just wants to go home. He, like, goes to any lengths to make it happen. Think of, like, MASH, but with, like, stakes and blood and things like that. Yeah. Uh, George Clooney directed some episodes. He also stars in this show as one of the sergeants and uh, not sergeants. Uh, he's like the, the colonels or generals. Uh, Kyle Chandler shows up uh, and Hugh Laurie. And it's just, it, it's one of those shows where you're watching it and you're like, he's in this too. Wow. My gosh. Hmm. But yeah, there's, there's going to be six episodes. I think there are three or four episodes into the first, the, I don't want to say first season, but into this season at the moment. And I kind of recommend it. I think it's a, uh, the production value for this thing is really high. I can definitely tell Hulu wants kind of a a, a book breaking show, uh, if it as it were. So I hope you check it out soon. Will uh, you're almost done with the novel? I want to say. Oh no, uh, I I was reading it between other things, so I just started it. Uh, but, that- uh, yeah, you made it sound like it was just a just a week away, almost there. Oh. I, it probably won't be a little while till I watch it, but I definitely want to check it out. I love Chris Rabbit. I'm, I'm a big fan yeah. of a lot of people involved. Uh, 
with this show. So it's on my it's on my list of things to watch on Hulu. But uh, I'm gonna put the book before it because the book is widely considered one of the the best American novels ever. But so I I wanted to make some time to read it. But um, once that's finished, I'll check it out for sure. All right, and then last thing you saw, Lonely Island picture. Uh, what's the deal with this? I, I've been hearing whispers. I don't know any. I don't know what's going on with that. It's. I think it's called The Lonely Island Presents the Unauthorized Bash Brothers Experience. I believe that's the title, but I don't mm-hmm. know for sure. Um, yeah, it, it was. It's a visual poem, as they call it, uh, that was released kind of by surprise on Netflix on Thursday, and it was uh, in conjunction with their new album, which is the same thing. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, a lot of people are digging it, and um, I'm more negative, I guess. But that's kind of how I felt about uh, Pop Star, which is that I enjoy the experience of listening to the album more than I enjoy the viewing experience for whatever reason. I just think it works better in album form than it does in film form. But I don't know. I mean, it's not bad. I respectfully disagree. I think Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping, is a very, uh, very funny, very engaging picture myself i enjoyed it quite a bit yeah. a lot of people like that for some reason like when i mentioned i don't like that 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 opinion really drives people up a wall for whatever reason like i, I can say we just most want you films, to like, like things will that's all i don't know i mean i'm pretty hit and miss with a lot of hit or uh, lonely island stuff i mean i could talk about the things i do like from them like you know they produce brigsby bear which i obviously loved uh they're involved with i think you should leave on netflix which i just championed a week or two ago so, they, and, you know, obviously the SNL stuff, I think, is great. Their first three albums are awesome. But, yeah, I don't know. Pop Star just didn't really work for me. And I wasn't really a fan of uh, Hot Rod either. So, um, yeah, there's just some things they do that I'm not crazy about. I did like MacGruber. But, um, yeah, this was just one that was more missed and hit. But it seems like people are digging it. And it's only 30 minutes. So you can check it out if you want on Netflix. It's not the worst way to spend your time. Yeah. All right. Well, all of our Netflix and and all of our who all our streaming stuff is out of the way. Let's get into some movie pictures. Although one of one of the films we're talking about is a Netflix release, but we'll get to that in a moment. Sure. But all right, Aladdin. This is the latest live action Disney remake. We just got Dumbo back in March, and we're already at it again. And we're going to be at it again in a couple more months, right? With Lion King, also. Oh boy. Oh boy, indeed. Yes, yes. Uh, Aladdin, if you recall, this was the 1992 Disney film, sort of adapting a fairy tale version of Arabian Nights or Aladdin and the the thieves. I, I forget the exact title. I don't want to butcher it. But a thousand and one Arabian Nights. Is that what something like that? It, yeah, it, very classic tale. Probably read it in school. That sort of thing. And th- this new film is obviously taking a note from the Disney animated musical uh to compare to other live action disney remakes it's it's a lot closer to beauty and the beast and cinderella where they're really kind of strictly adapting the story and it's even closer to beauty and the beast in that respect because it's one of the disney renaissance films the the animated renaissance films are the ones that kind of kicked off with little mermaid and sort of went through tarzan uh, but a lot of people debate over what the exact years are. Some people would go back to like rescuers or something like that to officially mark the beginning of the Disney Renaissance, which those animated films in a lot of ways formed our childhoods because Will Ashen and myself grew up in the nineties. I I was definitely too young to see Aladdin in the theater. And I have a feeling you were too, Will Ashen, but I want to speak for you. Yeah. Well, I wasn't even born. (laughs) So (laughs) I forget your actual birth year. Yeah. Yeah. It would be literally impossible for me to see it 
in its original theatrical run. Right. I was born in the 90s, so I, I was not even, I was barely a toddler, I think, when this film came out. So I do remember seeing it on the VHS, and Aladdin was one of my favorite Disney films growing up. It was one of the only Disney films where I actually saw like a culture that wasn't, you know, the, the, the sort of European folklore culture. And, and even though I'm not of Middle Eastern descent, I still sort of saw Aladdin as somebody who looked closer to what my family looked like, which, you know, is obviously not obviously, not everybody knows this, but obviously to me, Puerto Rican and Hispanic. And for, for that reason, I always had a, a little stronger of a connection with Aladdin than I think I did plenty of other of those Disney films coming out. But they did it again. They made another Aladdin and oh yes, 1001 Arabian Nights. You were you're correct about that. Oh cool. So this new one is directed by Guy Ritchie who I think last time we talked about one of his films was King Arthur Legend of the Sword, uh, first season of Cinemaholics. And he co-wrote wow. the screenplay with John August. John August a, a screenwriter that I I do oh, yeah. respect. Uh, that I, I love, I love listening to his podcast script notes. So I was very surprised. I did not know he was a screenwriter on this. I thought Guy Ritchie uh, yeah. wrote the whole thing. Well, I didn't know, I didn't know either of them wrote the script. So I was a big surprise when I was watching the movie, and I still yeah. don't know what John August did for this film. But we'll talk about that more in a bit. Yeah, it was kind of. I could not get that out of the back of my head while I was watching this movie. I was really thinking to myself, "Is this where August? Is this where his screenplay sort of came in?" Because really, they're following. Basically, beat for beat, the 1992 animated film. And there were barely any flourishes that dramatically diverged. And you can tell what they're trying to do with this movie is they're trying to keep the soul of the thing intact. They they definitely don't want to make these big, broad brush changes of what Aladdin really means and what kind of movie it is, with the exception of a few details that sort of retcon the the more problematic elements of the 1992 film. For example, uh, Jasmine, played here by Naomi Scott, she's, of course, the princess that Aladdin wants to to fool into thinking he's a prince so they can get married and, and love and all that. She has far more agency in this film. You can tell that they actually wrote in some things for her that go beyond being a love interest and more of wanting to be the sultan herself, for example. And yep. the genie here is played by Will Smith instead of Robin Williams. And again, another character that they sort of add in new narrative details. So try to make it a little different, try to make the flavor a little different, but also kind of spin the material into into what you would expect. It, it doesn't dramatically go far away from what the genie is in the 90, 1992 film. And then Aladdin himself is played by Mena Massoud. Uh, you may remember him from, I, I think he's uh, on a show uh, I'm not as familiar with. It's not Peaky Blinders, but it's something like that. But he's popped up before, and he plays Aladdin in this film. And, you know, he, I think this is probably the character closest, and just like going straight for like what that, that last film was uh, in terms of his personality, uh, his sense of humor, his comedic timing, what he wants, and everything like that. Also in the cast, Marwan Kanzari, Naveed Nagoban, Nassim Pedrad. And I think the only white person who is on screen, Billy Magnuson, has kind of a small role here. Alan Tudyk voices Iago, and I think a few other animal characters. Uh, I, fr- I think the same person who voiced Abu is back. Uh, I forget what okay. his name is, but... Uh, the director? Yeah. No, I don't think Wasn't- it was... Was well, I thought the, the um no I thought one of the directors of the original Latin I thought they provide the voice of Abu. 
Oh, I'd have to fact check that, but it, it was the same person who mistaken, voiced uh, Cave of Wonders. Yeah. Um, well, because I don't think it was Ron Clements or John Musker, but uh, I don't okay. want to. Uh, I don't want to speak too soon. For I thought sure. it was one of them. Yeah, I thought it was one of them, but I don't know. No, it wasn't. I I, th- I think it was like Frank something. I, I and I'm I'm forgetting what his last name was, but I I apologize deeply. I'll look it up a little bit later. All right. That said, Aladdin. Okay. This is a. Uh, quite the film it's it's a musical still the the a lot of the music if not all of the music is in this including i think one new original song and kind of a new soundtrack that alan menken is doing with the score kind of remixing it almost well we'll ashton what did you think of aladdin i mean it's the same plot you know i kind of explained it earlier but aladdin's a street rat he wants to get the princess to fall in love with him and jafar tricks him into trying to get a magic lamp and next thing he knows, he's sort of doing like a, a heist almost to win the princess's affections using the magic of his new best friend, the genie. So, so what do you what do you think, Will Ashen? Is it uh, is it as good as the original here? Uh, um, well, I'll start off with saying that uh, going into this, I think I had a little more optimism than some people, in the sense that. Um, I had a little more enthusiasm for what this movie could be as opposed to Lion King, which I really don't have any enthusiasm for that at all. It just seems devoid of any real creative reason beyond commercial success, which is uh, sad and frustrating. But this movie, like you said, there's there's a chance that they could improve upon the text here. They could fix some of the mistakes of the original film or some of the more problematic elements of it and make something that was really accessible and uh, a little more engaging than it was before. But... There's also the issue of the original film, two of the things that really made it pop were the animation and the work of the late Rob Williams, who the role was basically catered to. So having those two elements be inherently gone from the picture was always a cause for concern and never really made sense to me why Guy Ritchie was involved with this. But I tried to put all my baggage aside and be like, you know, I'm just going to go in. Hope it's fun. Hope for the best. And I really just did not like this movie much at all. Um, There's stuff in here that I think is good. Um, I mean, I do think the performances are fine. I do like the costuming. I think the set design tends to look pretty good. There is a lot of flourish and color to this film. There is the Bollywood influence that does make it a little more unique than your average Hollywood blockbuster. But ultimately, I just didn't really feel my... I didn't... I never got the sense that I was divorced from the animated film. Like I was constantly thinking about it. That was constantly in the back of my mind, constantly coming into my perception of the film. And unlike Dumbo or Cinderella or even um, Alice in Wonderland, I, I just found myself constantly just thinking about the other film and how much better that was and how much more accessible and fun it was. And this just felt very dull, very, uh, cynical as far as its approach there was not really any sense of like fun or spontaneity to anything it felt very stagey as far as the green screen and the special effects and i was mostly just bored by this whole experience just because what they do add doesn't really feel authentic or valuable and i mean there was room for it to do that but it didn't ever come to me that way and i just found the stuff that worked was still better in the animated film so for me it just felt like a huge missed opportunity yeah i get the sense you're not the biggest fan of these live action remakes for the most part i mean you also didn't very much Um, like jungle book right which was the one that i think a lot of people really took to 
I thought it was fine. Like, I, I thought it was decent. I, there were some issues I had with it, but I'd say Cinderella was probably the only one I would say was good. And that wasn't, like, a wholehearted recommendation. I just thought that was a good adaptation of Cinderella with some intriguing things they changed to make it uh, separated from the animated film. But, hmm. yeah, I, I don't love them. They're not... I mean, this is the one that I think just kind of, like, broke the... I mean, it just kind of... I don't want to say it broke me, but I think I might have said that in my written review, but... Um, it just it just kind of drained any enthusiasm I would have for any of these live action animated films, just be, or live action films, because it just I, I if this is what they're going to be, then it just feels very bleak and cynical because like I just don't I don't see a lot of room for creative freedom. Similar size has I, I felt for um, the Beauty and the Beast film a couple years ago. It just felt like the potential to do something unique and fun with it just wasn't there and. For some reason, all the stuff that I liked about the anime film is not present here. So probably an attempt to separate it from the anime film. But at the same time, they're so dependent on reminding you of the animated films and playing to those nostalgia beats that there's no way these films can stand on their own. So like, I just don't for me as a film, I just don't really get the point. Yeah. And I, I guess I bring that up because we should be clear that I think a lot of your approach to these live action films is very different from how other people will. And because sure. I know a lot of other people who they, they want that, you know, and it's just a matter of what your preference is. And I just sure. get the feeling that it really is a, a stylistic preference for you. And I totally understand it. I'm mostly there with you in the sense that you go into these films. I know you, you hope for the best, but what you want out of like an, a new sort of remix Aladdin film is very different. I think from what, the masses probably want. And that's sort of what the box office says, because these films make so much money and they get forgotten very quickly and they're very disposable. And I think that's worth criticism for sure. You look at beauty and the beast. And I mean, that had no real lasting impact on anything. It came, it made all the money and it left. And I think yeah. you and I can look at that and be like, yeah, it's not, you know, it's not the kind of movie that really matters. And I think we judged it as such. Uh, I slightly disagree with jungle book though, because I think that's an example of a remake that, I wasn't thinking of the original film because there was way more room for improvement considering that that film sort of being so far removed from pop culture and you had a chance to kind of do something new with it. That that was a movie that came out in the 60s, right? I firmly believe these in yeah. 90s films, these animated films, they're just too close to me. Like I, I think that if I'm trying to feel nostalgic for something in my childhood – I just feel like I'm, I, me personally, and I'm using myself as a measuring stick. I just feel like I'm too young for that sort of thing. I think that in another 10 or 15, maybe 20 years, that's probably when you have a chance to really leap into those films. But I think Disney sees dollar signs and the people want this sort of thing because of Beauty and the Beast. And I think that Alice in Wonderland and Cinderella, they do have more opportunity for like, oh yeah, when you watch those animated films, they're a bit older, they're a bit more far removed. You can do a lot of like newer things with those stories, especially with Alice in Wonderland being like a sequel. But yeah, you're yeah. right. With Aladdin, it's just hard not to think about this film so easily. And I wonder if some people go into it being like, yeah, I get that. And I, I like the animated film, but my kids, you know, they don't, maybe they don't like the animated film. Maybe it looks too whatever to them. I've never heard somebody say that though. Like I've never heard somebody actually say that the nineties Disney films are ugly with the exception of like the ones that they don't like. Does that, does that make any sense? Like, I feel like that first Aladdin is still like a Marvel to look at. So I guess I'm with yeah. you in the sense of like, why do we need this? 
Well, that's the other thing about the animated film is that like that, uh, for better or for worse, that felt like a Looney Tunes kind of influence to Disney, which, I mean, you can discredit it and feel like that's not what proper Disney is or not. I mean, I've heard that argument before, but it did feel like a little more creatively fresh for Disney. It felt like a new direction, kind of a, a chance for them to have a little more commercial appeal in a different sure. way. And for them to have a little more kind of buoyancy in their animation, a little more freedom, because you can definitely tell when you watch the genie scenes, like they they really come to life, especially, you know, the friend like me musical number. Like you feel like these animators are really having fun playing with the material they're given by Robin Williams. Yeah, well, I mean, not just that one. I mean, like pretty much any scene with the genie, you know, you can see like how much freedom and creative liberty that they have through Robin Williams material. And this film, like, I mean, it's an ugly film, but like you see like the scene like, uh, a whole new world, which is supposed to be, you know, like this expansive, beautiful musical number. And it just looks like they're shooting that in like a green screen at night. And it's all murky and brown. And like, you don't really get to see the background. Yeah, I don't remember a single thing that happened in that sequence besides the music. But that's the thing. The audience right. didn't care, I guess, for that moment. They just wanted to hear the soundtrack of it, right? And even then, I, I don't think a lot of the singing is up to snuff for a lot of these characters. I think the Will Smith especially with, a, oh, the orig- yeah. with the Arabian Nights, it's it's kind of flat. Yeah. And I was it surprised because he's such a great musical performer. I think Naomi Scott has a wonderful singing voice. I think she... Yeah, she does. She was the one person, I think, in both of her big music numbers where she's belting, she's hitting her notes, and it's sounding really great. I, I would say that there is room here. Like, I think there is a story, a new kind of story that you can tell with Aladdin where you really sure. center it around. And I, th- I think they tried and went for this. And almost got there and i think that's what some people are liking i think some people are liking this sort of bollywood inspired central romance between aladdin and jasmine it's a bit more fleshed out it has a little bit more nuance a little bit more back and forth and i i know not everyone will agree with this but i just think that mina masoud and, and naomi scott just kind of they have like a little bit of energy to them it's not dripping chemistry like what we see in the perfection perhaps but I, I saw it and I kind of felt it. I thought that it was it was average. I mostly agree with what you're saying, except for the chemistry. I felt nothing between the two leads. Truth be told, I won't say it was a lot, but for me, there was just enough. I mean, the only real scene where I felt like there was a spark between them was like the opening scene when they're like running around town. Yep. But that's just like the only scene where I felt like, I mean, going back to Guy Ritchie, like that scene where he's like running around, they're doing the um, what's that musical number called? Uh, One Jump Ahead. Yeah, One Jump Ahead. Like, that was, like, the only scene where I felt like, oh, this is Guy Ritchie directing a Disney film. Like, that scene, you know, he's doing parkour. It has a lot of energy to it. There were some weird moments, though, where he slows it down and then cuts it weird. Right. And I was like, oh, okay, that's whatever. Like, I mean, that's, like, every Guy Ritchie movie. <laughs> right. So, I was like, oh, he had to get something in there, yeah. Sure. But, I mean, like, even looking at, like, King Arthur, which is a movie I don't like, but that, more or less, I mean, like, more often than not, that felt like Guy Ritchie was involved from a directing standpoint. This movie, with the exception of that scene, I didn't really get his influence here. Like I don't like it mostly right. just felt like a like a Disney producer was involved, like just making sure it all met the budget and made its plans. And not to say there aren't creatively inspired scenes, like the friend like me scene, like that would be a hard scene to mess up just because it, you know, the material just provides so much, you know, inspiration. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, that seems fine. Like there's like some creative moments there, but for the most part, it just felt like everyone, like the, from a directing standpoint, it just felt like it was on autopilot. 
And I guess the one time it looked like he did have some rain, there, there's a scene where one of the characters is singing and everything is like slowed down and time has stopped and things like that. And I, I sort of got the sense that that was his call. But then because of the music and the direction not being in sync, it felt totally out of place for me. It felt like this isn't the movie I'm watching. And I have a feeling a lot of Richie's ideas felt like that. Like they just didn't mesh with this material as well, I would, I'm assuming. I guess, yeah. Well, I mean, that scene, like, they literally stopped the movie to have that musical number. And, I mean, it's not a bad musical number. I mean, it, it does. It did remind me a lot of Let It Go. I think that was the song that the La La Land writers did. And then, yeah, oh, but really? it doesn't, yeah, yeah. It, but it doesn't fit. <laughs> like, it's just, it's good. It didn't really fit the film. Yeah, it just felt kind of an odd choice. And I like what the message is. Like, I think it's a good yeah. message. But, I mean... That's where I thought like maybe, odd- okay, that's John August. That's him sort of trying to be like, oh, this is how we can sort of make this character pop a bit more. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't really know what John August did as far as the film, like I said earlier. I mean, right, the only real guessing. scenes where I felt like, like the only scenes I felt like he, there was any like writer influence was like the scenes between the Sultan and Jasmine. So, I mean, that'd be my only guess. And then there's like a couple, like, there's a couple, like kind of fun, amusing, like hitch, le- like, uh, back and forth between genie and aladdin which he oh, might have well, had before some... we talk about well before we talk about the genie and aladdin I, I i would say with jafar and aladdin too i think that okay. i got a little bit of screenwriter influence there where i think that they try to write in some more motivation for jafar why is he doing this and then trying to tie it into you know how to beat him in the end like that sort of thing of like what's his weakness and what what is he trying to do? What's his big plan here? I thought, okay, that's that felt to me like a screenwriter was injecting some urgency and some ideas into this character. I, I don't think it fully worked, even though the performer was game, just because I don't I, I think it was a lot of tell and not enough show for me personally. Uh, that's such a hard balance because you know you don't have to show everything, but you know I I would have liked a little bit more Jafar beyond. There's like a a scene kind of ripped from 300 to set his bad guyness up, and it was just oh, yeah. kind of silly. I thought, but with the genie, I know this is controversial. I think that here here's where I stand with him. The the hitch okay. aspect of genie where it's it's Will Smith kind of being like a life coach to Aladdin. Sure. That to me felt like Will Smith's influence. That to me felt okay. like, and, and maybe it was a mix of people. And I have a feeling Richie really directed this into it where he was like, you need to make this thing your own. You need to do a spin on the genie that isn't just trying to replicate Robin Williams. The problem is those, those scenes were great. I think those moments were great, but then you really see the genie a lot of the time kind of reverting back to maybe a studio mandated, well, he's got to do genie stuff. He's got to do what the Robin Williams genie did. And every single time it does that, you lose your ground with this character. And it's such a jerky thing. And I, I really hate it because Will Smith, I don't think since maybe Hancock or Hitch, have we really seen his like charisma, his charm kind of effortlessly right. come out. And it mm-hmm. came out in this movie, but in between these like forced moments of stand-up impressions that I just... Right. To what you were saying before, I was just thinking of the other film and just wanted to go back to that film. Yeah, I mean, as much as I appreciate Will Smith kind of going back, I mean, this is like, you know, like going back to the nostalgia of the 90s, you know, kind of playing like the the Will Smith of older year, uh, you know, even having like a musical number at the end of the film. uh, You know, it's hard not to uh, appreciate, you know, seeing that original Will Smith come back. But at the same time, like it felt like he was like in overdrive, like constantly either trying to 
match the energy of Rob Williams or just trying to salvage the film or just like, I don't know, for whatever reason, I just felt like he was always like trying and there was just something kind of like, I don't want to say desperate, but just like, it just didn't really feel natural to me. It just felt like he constantly needed to like impress us for some reason. And I really think to your credit, like what you're saying, like when the film is kind of slowed down, he's like kind of just having heart to heart with Aladdin. Like those moments resonated with me a lot more than when he's like trying to do anything to like the traditional genie of the animated film. And I mean, that's not to say that he doesn't have, you know, that energy or that enthusiasm for the role. I think he tried his best, but right. yeah, it just, I mean, like you said, like it's, it's like it's given pull here with the studio and maybe the filmmakers are just like, it's a film that doesn't know if it wants to be its own thing or harken back to the anime film. We got this like kind of in between where it's like either just re-release the original film in theaters like you did before or just make a completely different film. Like if you're just going to do like this halfway approach, then you're really not, uh, at least in my opinion, you're not really appealing to yeah. me. And I guess, uh, I don't know. I mean, I can only speak for myself, but yeah, I mean the studio wanted it both ways. And I think that's where right. they're splitting with you. I think that's what it sounds like uh, to, to wrap yeah. this up. I mean, I, I don't want to sound like I'm horribly negative because I'm just sort of like repeating some of the things that you're saying, because I think they're true, but there are things in here that I do think have life to them. Uh, I don't want to make it sound like I, I'm a big downer here. I think, I think that you can watch this movie, even if you really love the animated one and you, you heavily prefer it and you don't want this movie to exist. I wasn't personally bored by it. I, I, I did find a lot of it kind of dull looking, but I think with the exception of Jafar, the performances were on point enough and just the right amount of consistency that I was able to get through this and appreciate what I liked and just sort of overlook the things that really didn't work for me whatsoever. And the things that I, that worked for me were Naomi Scott's performance here, especially I just thought was a just one of those things where you're like, ah, this is she's I don't know. We haven't really talked much about her since probably Power Rangers when she was the Pink Ranger, but I mean, wow, <laughs> you know, this this is the kind of role that's uh, going to hopefully break her out even further. And I, I don't think we talked too much about it, but I do think the costumes, I think that some of the staging, when there are some more like musical sensibilities, the film pops, you know, we've said Bollywood, what, two or three times now. I don't sure. want to make this sound like this is some sort of really great Bollywood film. It's not. It, no. it's just, it just feels like a film where a couple of people who've don't know that much about Bollywood, watch a few Bollywood movies, and then kind of put in little stylistic things here and there to sort of hearken to that style. But if you want to see like a real Bollywood film, this is not it. <laughs> and that's, that's yeah. not to be like mean or harsh or negative. It's just the reality of like, that's not yeah, what the film is even going for, you know? Right. Yeah. So that said, I think that, yeah, you're right. They, they try to have it both ways, probably should have just committed one way or the other, but I, I would prefer this to just be for beat shot for shot remaking the animated film. It at least has a couple of things that sort of maybe if not improve the original sort of like gloss over some weirder, rougher edges that, you know, some diamonds in the rough, if you will, that the 92 film that haven't aged as well with that film. And well, we could talk all day about that and, and get into even more detail. Sure. But for me, this is a C plus a little bit above average, but not by much. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a little more negative than you are right now. So I was just bored by it, to be honest. I really didn't have any entertainment value with this film. The stuff that I wanted to work didn't really work. And anything that did work just made me uh, 
the press as far as like what it could have been or with a better film that sometimes rears head in, but then ultimately never comes out. And for me, it just, like I said, just felt like a missed opportunity. I don't really think it accomplishes what it sets out to do. I'm glad people are enjoying it. I mean, I don't want to rain anyone's parade here, but for me, it was just a lackluster bore and I'm going to give it a C minus. Well, it's, it's the desert, so you wouldn't be able to rain on Prince Ali's sure. parade. And anyway, one last thing I'll say too is, I, and I, I tweeted this out, I, I've never, after seeing one of these live action Disney films, remakes, I should say, I've never once walked out and been immediately desperate to watch the original because I just wanted to see it. Like, I just was like, man, I've thought about it so much. Now yeah. I got to go see it. But you can't see it. It's not you can't stream it anywhere. It's not on iTunes. It's well, not on Amazon. Yeah. You have to go to the library, or it's in the Disney Vault right now, right? So it's very sure. difficult to to track down at the moment. Yeah, I mean, they I guess they're just adamant about people not just watching the original animated film, so they have uh, stricken it from the record until I guess this is on DVD or something. So, well, they they did it a while uh, ago. I, I think they did this like yeah. two years ago. Yeah, it's so strategic. It's, yeah, it's a strategic yeah. play. Yeah, I I know how this works, and that's what I mean. Like. This movie just makes me very cynical about what Disney is doing. And I like Disney. I mean, I, I, they're responsible for a lot of my favorite childhood memories and that they're choosing. Like, I, I always I just see the optics, like the business perspectives here. And that makes me very just tired and frustrated with a company. It's like I get that it's a business. Like, I know what they're doing. This has been the case forever, or at least as far as they've been around. Like, I, I know this is not like a new thing, but it just seems so like transparent as far as what their intentions are here and what they're doing and like how they're trying to get people to see this film. And it just, I think that's to me is what is making me so negative about this experience. It's just that I can just see it so clearly what they're trying to do here from a business perspective. And I just don't see the creative freedom to make me forgive it. So I don't know. That's just my perspective right now. For sure. Totally understandable perspective. And I don't blame you, but let's move on to a, another film. We are going to talk about, the Perfection, which is oh a new horror thriller that is now on Netflix, and it premiered at Fantastic Fest last September, and I remember hearing that when it comes out, we gotta watch it. So we did. Uh, it just released on Netflix this past Friday, and it was directed by Richard Shepard, who is m way, way better known for his TV work. Uh, he's directed episodes of, oh my gosh, so many shows, Ugly Betty, Ringer Girls, which is his previous connection mm -hmm. with uh, Allison Williams. And also, I think he did one of the Twilight Zone episodes, which a uh, okay. little connection to Jordan Peele. Then you go back to Get Out, which Allison Williams. So a lot of great shows. I was actually wondering, too, when I saw this, if he had directed any episodes of like Dear White People or something like that. And uh, that wouldn't be the case. Uh, I bring that up because Logan Browning is in this and, and she's mm -hmm. wonderful on that show. But yes, so The Perfection, it stars Allison Williams and Logan Browning, as I said, along with Steven Weber. And this is a, a dark and lonely and interesting film. I was surprised, by the way, to see that it was also produced by Miramax, which... Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, when I saw that, I was th this, of course, is the Harvey Weinstein production company, and I just didn't know that they were still doing anything so that was a bit of a surprise uh the screenplay yeah. is by richard shepherd along with nicole snyder and eric c charmello uh kind of unknowns i don't know them as well in terms of screenwriters uh i, I would have to look them up on imdb to see what else they've worked on but will ashton what is the perfection about how, how are we going to talk about this yeah i mean this is a 
kind of tricky one to talk about plot wise, but um, I guess the bare gist of it is um, Allison Williams plays this um, gifted uh, celloist who had to leave her uh, musical ambitions in order to take care of her sick mother. I believe she was doing that for about 10 years or so. And then uh, her mother passes and she's deciding to go back into the the, um, music field. And in doing so, she reconnects with her old teachers and uh, also connects with Logan Brown, who is like the next prodigy who she kind of revered as a child. And now they are um, are connected again and they form a romantic relationship after they reconnect. And then uh, something happens that uh, definitely takes a toll. And uh, more things happen, and yeah, uh, it yeah. gets pretty kooky, and I can't say more than <laughs> I that. I like how you put it. Yeah, yeah. The, this film takes quite the turn. Uh, I think it, this is the way the movie was prepped for me, and I was able to maintain my surprise factor. I was told that it was weapon-grade bonkers um, by sure. one critic on Twitter. I, I was told that it was deeply upsetting <laughs> and unsettling. And it's that kind of thing. Uh, this this kind of had the mo- one of the most nauseous scenes that I've seen in a film in probably oh, a couple yeah. of years. I, I was at least a definitely at, at least at least, and yeah. I'm not easily grossed out. Like I think that I, I can sit through some pretty dark stuff. I did not mm-hmm. watch *Brightburn* though because yeah, I was going to say the, this was like a <laughs> quite a weekend, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I well, part of the reason I didn't see Brightburn, I was all set to watch it. Uh, I think on Thursday, and I had the chance to, and I read some like takes on it of how just gross and gory it was, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm mm-hmm. gonna see the perfection too this weekend. I'm just gonna wait. I'm just not gonna watch Brightburn and let Will talk about it on the show. Sure, that's the way to go. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad I, I made that call because I think the perfection was just enough. <laughs> But uh, did you did you like this one, Will? I mean, without getting into the plot too much, people could just watch this on Netflix right uh-huh. now, and I hope we can have yeah. more of a conversation about it down the road if we can. But are you into it? Yeah, I mean, I was actually looking forward to this ever since it was announced because um, you were playing up his TV credits, but I really like Richard Shepard's films. Uh, he made uh, The Matador with Pierce Brosnan, who I think that's his best performance. Like, I think Pierce Brosnan's ever been better than that film. And then he also made uh, Don Hemingway with Jude Law, and I thought that was a fantastic performance for him. And I think those movies are good on their their own merits, to be clear. But I think the performances are really what stand out there. And um, you know, as an actor's director, in that sense, I felt like he definitely gave uh, Allison Williams and Logan Browning a great opportunity to showcase their talents. Um, I've seen a little bit of the show Dear White People, but I wasn't super familiar with uh, Logan Browning before this. I know she was also in the Bratz film like ten years ago. But, um, yeah, I thought she was fantastic in this. And I thought Alison mm-hmm. Williams has really just grown. I mean, between this and Get Out, she's really carving a niche for um, the horror genre in the post-Girls career. And, I mean, I mean, she was, like, she was pretty good in Girls, but she never, like, I mean, until, like, the later seasons, she never really stood out as an actress, I felt. And I felt like this and Get Out, like, she's really, you know, stepped up and been, like, a, a truly tremendous actress. And I, I think this is a tremendous showcase for her. And um, as far as the film itself, yeah, I... When it started the film, I was like in the first 20 minutes, like, I don't know how I'm really feeling about this. Like, it's not not bad. Just like, I'm not really getting like, why is everyone kind of going nuts about this film? And then you're like the moment you're talking about starts to go and it's just riveting. But it's like also very, you know, intense and visceral and it's really well done and it's very unsettling and upsetting. And I was like, oh, man, you know, (laughs) this movie is really taking a turn. 
And then, you know, the other stuff happens and it's like, holy moly, this is a yeah. this is a it's roller coaster of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what you know what I like about it in that respect though, before you move on, is that it's still yeah. so small. Like it's not complex. Right. It it doesn't waste any time. It's a crisp hour thirty and mm-hmm. it just it takes you on that roller coaster and there's just no filler. And I think that is what makes it yeah. even Straight all chaser. the more riveting, right? Uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely, uh, it reminded me of like side effects in Gone Girl as far as the mm. approach. Um, maybe a little more side effects, although the plot is more Gone Girl-esque. Uh, but like just the way that side effects is very like kind of cut to chase, even though it's very twisty and stuff, that approach. Uh, yeah, it definitely has like that. It, it doesn't take any prisoners, just like goes for it. And it definitely is going to, I should, we should probably mention this right now. I mean, if there's some stuff towards the end that um, involving abuse that, I mean, maybe I guess like a, just a warning ahead of time that if you're not prepared for that, that might be a little too intense. And I mean, it's intentionally so, but yeah, just, I guess, no going in that, that, that might, you know, that might be in consideration there. But um, yeah, I mean, just the, the approach to the film, it's definitely, I, I think it communicates what it does very well. I mean, I, I know some people were not, happy with some of the choices that it makes like understand to certain respects like not again not spoiling anything where it goes but i mean for me personally i once like the the hook of the film really sinks in i was yeah i was all about it yeah i i was i was almost mad at this film until the very end i think it won me yeah. over and i think uh, that's what yeah i think yeah that's what makes it work yeah absolutely and i think the, the thing about this that made me think of Velvet Buzzsaw, weirdly enough, was it also had an interesting statement on arts and creativity and the lengths that we go to in order to achieve the perfection. And I really like that the film didn't go the obvious route of getting that message across, kind of as you mentioned. Yeah. And well, it it's a thinker. It's, it's one to actually kind of discuss and, and in its sort of polarizing moments really discuss with other people what it means to mm-hmm. them and especially some of the things toward the end that are a little harder to watch not not in a grotesque way but more in an emotional sort of it's more about what things represent than like yeah. a visceral reaction which i think is what's always key for me it's not about just trying to gross somebody out or trying to make somebody feel unsettled it's about making them think about why that's happening to them and then i, I think yeah. that's what this film achieves right yeah i mean I would say less about art and more just the industry behind it and the unfortunate like gatekeeping and things of that yeah, uh, nature. It goes hand in and, hand for sure. Yeah. Right. And I mean, that's what makes the Miramax connection very, very strange uh, to say the Ooh. least. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, any case, I mean, not to dwell on that too much, but uh, yeah, I mean, definitely, I mean, you know, intentionally the film is very upsetting and very unsettling, as I said, but I think the ultimate goal, like that's what I mean. Like, I think, the end of it justifies, I guess, well, I don't know if that's the, the right phrase, but I mean, like, just, I think the end makes it worthwhile. And like you said, like, I think, like, if it didn't end the way it did, I would definitely be as critical as some people are about the film. And I think that it's certainly understandable that this movie, I would say, you know, with many caveats, like, if, if you don't think this can, if you can handle it, I can totally understand. I, I wouldn't recommend this movie to everybody yeah. for that reason. But I think if you can handle it and you're willing to sit through it and, uh, power through some of the, the tougher aspects of the if you, film if you play through the pain watch through the pain maybe i guess yeah um <laughs> yeah I, I definitely i definitely think it's worth your while if you and it's on netflix so i mean you know yeah. you can if you if you can't get through it you can always just shut it off and you know no harm no foul but i think if you can sit through it, it's definitely worth your while i i did pause it at a certain point because i was like i can't right now i gotta stop and then and then i, yeah. I started it back up again but 
it, it is it does reward you for that effort. So I, I'm yeah, a B plus. I mean. I, I'm a B plus. I think that it, again, not for everybody, not a must watch for everyone, but definitely a film that for for the for the people who like this kind of film, they're really going to get something out of it. So pretty high mark for me. What about you? Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm B plus. Ooh, been a while since we were synced up. Wow. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a tough watch at times, and I definitely, like I said, I think for some folks, I can't recommend it. I I do think it's going to be a hard sit for a lot of people, but if you're able to power through it and uh, watch it and uh, get something out of it, then I think it's going to be worth your while, and I would definitely recommend it. All right. Well, that is the perfection. Uh, a double B plus from us, and. It's just so nice when a, a weird film like that is able to come out on Netflix and you can just watch it so quickly and easily. I think that some people have been compare, comparing Allison Williams to Dakota Johnson, I think, in some unfair ways. Oh, okay. Totally different energy, I think. Well, I think people are both yeah, people are that. looking at them as like, oh, they they started out in sort of like traditional female roles, but are like carving out kind of a weirder, more esoteric and thriller-esque niche for themselves. But I think that they're so different in, in, in their presentations. And I think Allison Williams just has such a like imposing sort of feel that, that Dakota Johnson doesn't really have Dakota Johnson has a sort of like steel vulnerability. That's kind of interesting. Um, but what would you say about that? Yeah. I mean, beyond Suspiria, what are you referring to a bigger splash? Um, I'm not quite sure what this comparison is coming from. I think most people are probably referring to Suspiria for Dakota Johnson, okay. but yeah, because she goes from the 50 shades films to this. And then I haven't seen anybody compare though to Kristen Stewart, which is kind of interesting, but regardless, yeah. uh, I think Allison I don't want to really compare it to different actresses. I think they're all good and they're doing different things right now. I don't, I, I which is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm trying to say. I think some people are just trying to like make easy comparisons, which I don't, I think is kind of, uh, not the wrong, not the right way to go about it. And I also think that, well, yeah, there's just feel very loose connections though. Like I, I don't really get, the comparisons per se. I mean, well, I'm not going to make other people's arguments for them because I don't agree with them. That's fair. But just putting that out there. Yeah. Let's get into our last film for this episode. Brightburn, which I did not see, but you saw Will Ashton. This is a new sci-fi horror superhero sort of film with, uh, some interesting, (laughs) some interesting genre twists. It was produced by James Gunn, of course, the guardians of the galaxy director, along with Kenneth Wong. And it was directed by David Yurevsky and it stars, Elizabeth Banks, David Denman, and I think in his first role, or at least his first big role, Jackson A. Dunn. What is Brightburn, Will Ashton, and will it will it make me even more upset than The Perfection? Hmm. I don't know. So this film, I mean, if you don't know what the general can see of the film, it's basically, uh, what if Superman was evil? Or maybe a little more appropriately, what if Man of Seal played out like the Omen? Uh, and the film... It's it's a definitely approach. I mean, I talked about it in my summer movie preview segment. Um, it's definitely one that's been on my radar ever since I saw that trailer. It's definitely, you know, it's like a premise that I feel like a lot of people have had a similar idea before, but no one's really got through the Hollywood system to get it actually made, uh, at least in a respectable way. And uh, it it's definitely one that, like, you know, it's the premise is so good. You know, you, you wanted to see it to be like, does it fulfill that potential? And as far as the film itself, I'm really torn on this one uh there's stuff in here that i don't know do you want me to start with the good or the bad i'll leave it to you john Uh, where should i start you know i'm just kind of curious like the premise is is so interesting to me i i I just think that oh it's one of those like 
one out of a hundred premises, as soon as you hear it, you're like, yeah, of course you made a movie like that. So does, does it at least make the most out of what to me is an intriguing setup or does it feel just kind of superficial? No pun intended. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think as far as the approach of the film, that's where I'm a little more negative because the film, it doesn't, it definitely doesn't focus that much on the, uh, way that the character becomes evil like it they they start off with like the you know like the child rearing and then it kind of just goes into like the puberty metaphor and from there we don't really get like the why which could be compelling in a certain way like you know like, there is no real reason why but as far as the film's approach it feels like there's some key human element that's missing here like you know you can compare this movie to like chronicle or carrie or akira where you know, you see like a character who's like misunderstood, bullied, and like they uh, get tormented for so long that when they have like this incredible superpower, they use it to like hurt other people, innocent and otherwise. And uh, with those films, you know, like I mean, I don't, I don't want the film to go into cliche of with like the kid being bullied or you know, like they like something like he's misunderstood or something like that. But at least it would be something that would justify like why the character goes to this extent. Right. You, you know, you, you, you huh. see like what what happens and this film. It just kind of like happens. It feels kind of more like um, Rob Zombie's Halloween movie where it just like he's just evil and that happens, which I think in for that first half, it worked for me in Alien or sorry, not Alien. I'm thinking of a different film uh, yeah, for yeah. Halloween uh, where that came from. Are they are they trying to go for the idea that like, well, Superman is good just because whatever, because that doesn't make sense. Right. Because Superman is good because of not his nature, but his nurture, right? Like it's Jonathan right. and Martha yeah. Kent. So do they just not follow that through with this? Sort of. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing is that like the movie doesn't, there, there is a compelling argument about nature versus nurture here that could have been really, really compelling and interesting. And the film doesn't feel the need to really explore that at most. Mm-hmm. It just kind of like, well, what if you just kind of like, like don't really keep tabs with your kid and like some question marks come up, but your parents are just like, Oh, you know, he's, he's still my boy. And like, what about, that and like that could be compelling but that's the thing it's like the movie it feels like it's taking two steps instead of four like it's not going as far as it could have to really make this something special you know like something that was really living up to that potential of what it could be it feels like it's just sort of halfway there like it's just like it's doing certain things right but it's not quite getting to like that point where it's like you really understand the character you really understand what the movie is communicating you really get the the full extent of this like metaphor this premise and that's what's really disappointing me about the film. Now, that's my negatives on the film. My positives are that as a horror film, like as a cinematic experience where I'm supposed to feel like creeped out and chilled by what's happening, I think it's completely effective in that way. Like there's definitely a good sense of shrill tension and intensity throughout the film. Like you feel that dread, you feel like that sense of danger throughout the film. And I think that's what really kept me through it. Like, it really felt like, oh, like, this kid's a danger. He is a menace. Like, something bad's going to happen, and I don't want that to happen, but it's going to happen. And it communicates that really well. And the horror scenes, like, the elements where, like, characters are put in danger because this superhuman kid is going on a tear, like, those elements work really, really well. And I think the performances help communicate as well. I, I don't know the kid. Um, I think you mentioned his name at the beginning. Who is the, Jackson, the main? Jackson A. Dunn. And Dunn yeah, or Gunn? Dunn. Yeah, I know. Okay, pretty I didn't know if he was a. I, he I didn't was, know if he was like. Uh, yeah. We saw him briefly in Avengers Endgame. He he plays uh, oh, a younger version of one of the characters. That's all I'll say. Okay, I didn't know that. Um, 
yeah, he looks a little familiar, but um, yeah, I think he's really good. I think Elizabeth Banks is really good. Um, what's her name? Pam's fiance. I feel bad. I never remember da- this guy. David name. Denman. <laughs> yeah, you've, David I feel Denman. like you've asked his name like several times on in Cinemaholics history. I I feel bad for him because that's the only thing I know him from. But uh, he's fantastic. I think he might be the best performance in the film. He's he's done a bunch of great. Well, we saw him in uh, Puzzle, I think, last last year. Oh, I didn't see it, but yeah, you mentioned it. Uh, I, for some reason, I thought you did catch Puzzle eventually, but Puzzle was a, a film that I definitely thought was very nice, very good. And uh, he he's been he's been in movies for years and years and years, but he's never like the star. And I, I have a feeling that's coming. Like I have a feeling this guy is going to get something soon. I just think he's still washing off the stench of his office baggage <laughs> because he was so sure, hated on that bad. show. I know, right? It's it's kind of lame, but um, yeah, I, I good to hear he's good in this. I think he needs like a good like character study film, like maybe not like a big film like you're saying, but like an indie of some sort where he just like, you know, really just like gets a good role that allows him to like just do his thing. Yeah, because I think there's, I mean, he's he's really versatile as far as like what he can do, and it's, it he seems really like is. most people just cast him as kind of like the like uh, the the antagonist kind of character, whereas uh, I think he has a lot more shades of gray than people can provide him. You do see that in Puzzle. In Puzzle, he's a far more sympathetic character. He's not just like a – he's not another Roy from The Office. But yeah. That's all I'll say. Yeah. I mean he's pretty sympathetic in here too. Like he definitely is like the uh, character that's like asking the questions that should be asked. Like, hey, maybe we should do something. <laughs> or, you know, this kid does not – not quite right. Um, but yeah, I think um, going back to the film itself, for all my problems with the film, and I, I think they're major problems that that hurt the film immensely – I do respect that the film fully commits to its vision. It's bleak. It's ruthless. The movie, it definitely is not a happy, uplifting film. (laughs) I'll leave it at that. But I do appreciate that the movie is like, this is the premise. This is what we're doing. And we're going to commit wholeheartedly, you know, strap yourself in because it's going to get brutal. And like you said, the movie gets very gory, very, very violent. Like even me, like somebody who watches like a lot of like typically gory films for particularly for like Halloween and October. And this movie definitely like it made me wince a couple of times. Like it definitely, it, it's Ooh. a very, very violent, gory film. Like I, I don't want to give away what happens, but it's kind of what scared me off. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like, I don't know. Like that's where I'm kind of coming from. It's like, there's a lot here I recommend and a lot. I'm like, ah, oh, I really just wish they, this was better. Cause like if this, if this stuff was as good as the other stuff, then this would have been, you know, tremendous, really incredible film. As it stands, though, I'm yeah, I'm really in the middle with it. I'm gonna give it a tentative B minus, just because. Huh, okay. What do you think works in? What I think works in here works, and like I said, it commits to what it's doing. I do think there's some compelling, interesting stuff in here. I do think that it it has some good stuff in it that I would recommend and champion. And I think it's not a film for everybody. It's not a crowd pleaser, like I said. But I think for People who appreciate what's doing or what it's going to do, I think they'll get something out of it. And I think there's a certain audience for someone that's really going to like it for completely understandable, valid reasons. But because like it's a, this movie, it has teeth and it bites. So it's definitely, you know, it's, it's it, it, compu- it communicates what it's trying to do. I just wish that it did some things better that would have made it really stand out as a tremendous film. But as it stands, you know, there's stuff in it that I like. All right, I, I like I like that comparison a lot, but um, that's Which Brightburn. Uh, the the has teeth and it bites. <laughs> very uh, okay. Very very good way to to sum it up there. But okay, sure. I, I, we forgot to do this for some of the other films, but let's wrap this whole episode up with the other side of the response to all three films we talked about. Sorry, sure. with Brightburn. Uh, so critics are mixed on this, and I think that's not a huge surprise. Fifty nine percent of critics rated it 
uh, positive on Rotten Tomatoes. Only 99 reviews, though, so that's probably going to change in the coming days. I mean, that's like the perfect grade for it. I'm not perfect, but it's like between 58 to like 62 percent is like pretty good. Right. It's 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 divisive in a way that, you know, kind of makes sense, probably. But yeah, yeah. and then also, I think box office wise, it's uh, it's probably going to make about twelve to sixteen million by the time uh, Memorial Day wraps up. It's just hard to tell at the moment because we're recording this before the end of the weekend. It's a holiday weekend, so uh, if if you're ever curious to about box office stuff, I do a box office column for Adam Tickets, so you should definitely check that out. I always summarize like all the box office. What I was going to say, if you like your puns, uh, definitely read that. Well, that column. okay. The puns I do for my weekend release column that I do for Adam sure. tickets. That's where Fair enough, yeah. I write I write summaries and synopsis. If you're curious about a film coming out every weekend and you just want like a what what is this movie? Why is it coming out? Who made it? And will I like it? I do these box office <laughs> summaries. <laughs> Wait, what? I'm sorry, I just I just laughing at the idea of why is this movie coming out? <laughs> <laughs> but that really that's like what I, I get into. I was like, I well, know, this movie's like, coming like, out because yeah. you know. And just giving a little bit of context without giving away what the film is. So it, it's like a nice little nice little summary. If you're ever curious about that, just check out my columns on Adam Tickets. Do it every week. But uh, as far as the perfection goes, this one has an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes from 40 reviews. And that that's not a huge surprise. I think I think it it's the people who are watching it are people kind of seeking it out. So that makes a lot of sense. Like if it was a theatrical release, it would probably be a little lower than that. I'm assuming just because I have a feeling some some critics would probably turn their nose at it as they have in similar films in the past. And then last we have Aladdin, which has a 58% based on 251 reviews. So another kind of a mixed film where I, I, I definitely know you will. You probably are more on the negative side. If I had, if I had written a review of Aladdin that was Rotten Tomatoes, I don't know if it would be fresh or rotten, which is kind of interesting, I guess. It, it'd probably be like right there on the line. So that makes sense to oh, me that 58% sounds about right. Yeah. But all right. That'll do it for this week's episode of Cinemaholics. Thanks so much for listening. I think I think I would recommend that if you are unsure what to see this weekend at the theater, definitely go see Booksmart. Booksmart is like the best movie playing right now. Uh, as much as I like The Perfection, that's Netflix, right? So, yeah. And uh, you've probably already seen John Wick Chapter 3 if you were going to see it anyway. This next week, we're going to be talking about Godzilla, King of Monsters, as well as Ma and Rocketman. It's going to be a pretty crazy weekend. And if you're not into any of those films, again, Booksmart's probably your best choice. I know you're looking forward to Godzilla. Well, no, I was going to say, well, I was actually going to say after Perfection, I definitely know I was like, I need something to make me laugh, which is why I put on the Lonely Island thing. But uh, I would definitely say, you know, if you watch that and you're like, hmm, I could use some giggles right now. uh, Check out that Booksmart because that sounds like it's a a laugh riot, right? That's right. That's right. And oh, another film that's going to be hitting limited release that I really loved was The Tomorrow Man. Uh, very good film oh, yeah. with John Lithgow and Blythe Danner. That's uh, it hit it. I think it launched in four theaters this past week, and it's expanding its release in the next coming weeks. So definitely keep an eye out for that. That's a nice little. If you're in the mood for kind of like an indie dramedy sort of thing, that's a great John Lithgow performance. And I hope you're able to check that one out sooner rather than later. Will so. Oh yeah. Thanks as always for listening. Love that John. Good Sorry. We'll s- I oh, yeah. I was trying to close it out, Will, and you you, you ruined I my know. groove. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just like, oh, you quoting uh, Emperor's New Groove on me because that's going to start a whole other conversation. <laughs> so we better end this <laughs> Well, thing. I was going to I was gonna do Shrek because of John Lithgow, but I couldn't think of something oh, that would uh, fit, so unfortunately. Oh, well. But yes, for, for John Lithgow, I will accept any interruption. 
But yes, thank you as always for listening. We'll see you all next week. Uh, Don't forget, if you love our show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever your podcast allows you to leave reviews. And we'll see you on cinemaholics.com. Leave us a comment if you have any thoughts on the films we talked about, and you might hear your comment on next week's show. From the Internet California, I am John Negroni. And for the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Wash. See you next time. <laughs>